Sucks. Screech that died sucks. today. Welcome to Slip Angle. <laughs> you didn't record that, did you? I, I, yeah, I just started. Oh, okay. Well, I guess that's how we start. Yeah, I don't know, man. To... How's things? Uh, good. I took my car apart on Saturday night and then realized something that I had uh, gotten for it isn't going to work unless I make more parts. So then I put it back together. So, <laughs> so you're not you're not good at cars. Uh, well, I'm not good at measuring the stack height of a Weber DCOE carburetor uh, throttle body conversion setup between two different manufacturers, and also visualizing the base plate of my air filter in relation to both of those setups. So, that sounds so hard. Yeah. Well, it's just, uh, so I, I, I bought these Chinese, uh, knockoff throttle bodies. Like, uh, like they, they literally are like Alibaba stuff. So I'm, and, I'm interested because I like this phrase, right? It's, it's knockoff, right? But if they're throttle bodies, then they're real throttle bodies. They may just not be brand name. If they were well, knockoff throttle bodies, they wouldn't be real throttle bodies. Well, they? they're they're a generic brand. Uh, <laughs> Wait, who's somebody else here? Probably not. No, no uh, it's just I, us. I'm getting some weird echoing. Solo. Um, yeah, sounded like Austin was like in for a second. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, so these throttle bodies that I bought, they're the base plate and the top of them are the shape of Weber DCOE carburetors. Like this is the same flanges, you know, um, and this uh, company, Sherry Berg or something, uh, or they call them Sherry Berg brand. Uh, it's a weird name, but, um, they, like, I wasn't super happy with a bunch of little aspects, aspects of them. Like the, the injector holes, like literally the injectors are like spaced back a little ways and they have to shoot through like a three eighths inch hole for like an inch, which is weird to me. Um, and then the linkage setup um, and the boring and like perfection of both of them. Like there's two throttle bodies, so I have four. You know, it's an ITB setup. Um, so there's two individual throttle bodies, and they are mated in the middle with the linkage, right? And at full close, they're all in one spot, and at full wide open throttle, two of or one side of them is like two degrees different than the other. And it's just annoying to me. They do actually seem pretty well made aside from like a couple little perfection things, you know? So I bought some used TWM throttle bodies, um, of the same kind of design, but they're like an inch shorter and, uh, they're made for like to have like a plenum that bolts to the top of them and the fuel rail and a bunch of other junk will come in contact with my, uh, filter setup, which, uh, is, like everything is all fabricated and built and everything. So the TWMs will live to see another day in another setup. I just got to like CNC some parts or something. But I'm going to get the thing tuned on the Sherry Bergs. So anyway, did I bore you to death? No, no. I think most <laughs> of it was just over my head. Well, it's, it's, uh, I'll send you a picture. It's all pretty soon. But um, yeah, so these are like designed to take the place. So if somebody's got like a car that runs on like, 40 mil DCOE Weber's from like the sixties, seventies. Like these are designed to bolt in place of that carburetor. Um, and in many respects, like they seem pretty rad and pretty good deal. Um, but a lot of it is like kind of generic stuff because basically anybody using them is going to be retrofitting them. So like 
The fuel rail is like generic fuel rail. Uh, I actually welded and fittings on it, so I wasn't using like slip fit stuff uh, and hose clamps because of high pressure systems that weirds me out. Um, a couple of things were uh, you had to rewire the the TPS sensor um, like pigtail because it was put in it was put together like in the like the the power the red wire was not where the red wire should be the black wire was not where the black wire should be <laughs> and to figure that out but uh, overall i'm pretty happy with how they, how they turned out so um that was like it's a shocking amount of like little projects though like um well speaking of that have that, you been watching um have you been watching jeremy swenson's uh recap videos Dude, yeah yeah, so many little projects, right? That's like, that's literally what I've been doing. Like, it's been a ton of half hour to one hour projects. It's been 50 of them. <laughs> well, like, I'm, I guess I'm just impressed with the amount of, like, um, I don't know, fabrication skill and, like, just kind of make it work um, ability he has. It's not something that, like, I knew about him, but I watched the videos of him in the shop and it's just like, okay, well, I need a, I need a thing. I guess I'll uh, weld it and I'll, you know, get the sander out and I'll do this and then this and then this and like, oh, well, it doesn't fit. Well, I'll change it. You know, it's just kind of like, I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a process, but it's, I think it's cool to see yeah. that uh, part of putting a race car together. Yeah. That, like the way he's building that card, like that's how I've built cars forever um, because I've never really had a car that I could just like buy the stuff that I wanted and bolt it in. Um, cause either I couldn't afford the stuff I wanted or it didn't exist, you know? Right. Um, and, uh, and the way he's building that car, like he's, he's basically like Lego assembling some of it, but a lot of it is like, yeah, that, like, that's a thing. You gotta make a bracket for that. And like, you gotta make a bracket for this. And then you gotta like plumb this and like, gotta make those lines. And I thought the, uh, the, the, the break, the hard brake line, hard line uh, straightener that his buddy made. I thought that was pretty rad. It was pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, I, I've seen those, like, and I've never thought about using one. So my brake lines in my car, like, to my rear brake lines, I made those ones. And they're, like, not that straight. And then I'm like, man, that's so simple. Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, his build's turning out pretty good. I didn't know he was doing a dry sump, too. Fancy boy. Mm-hmm. And the MK60 uh, ABS and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's going to be a cool car. Um, there's been one other Corvette. Um, well, Chris Tuttle had one uh, two years yeah, ago. C4. But there has yep. been a C5 that has run competitively at some of the events. Yeah, it was um, It was actually the one that was kind of spine. It was in the Stabil 303, 304 performance. I forget what, what their company name is, but... They were they were Gold Eagle is the parent company. They were they were a bit of a partner of us last year, coming back this year, and that was like kind of their their entry at PPIR and at Midwest Festival, and it was driven by kind of like a hot shoe ringer pro. He comes more from the circle track world, and uh, uh, yeah, he he went real fast at PPIR, and I think it was only like a second or third time driving that car. That car was actually prepped more for AER WRL rules, which turned out to be like almost identical to g yeah yeah like that like a detuned ls1 or ls2 or whatever it was it was literally just a junkyard motor um and he just all he did was like pull 20 more horsepower out of it and uh, it was like perfect for gltc that's awesome yeah just totally stock motor don't even like don't even try to maximize anything you know i just make it uh, stay cool and stay oiled and jeremy's definitely making his stay oiled with uh, dry sump um, 
Do you know much about dry stumps and C5s? And like, is that like, how necessary is that? Um, what I know is just what friends have said. Um, oh, C5, C6, C7. Like high grip cars, uh, 7, 8, 9, 10 at Gingerman. Um, yeah. Almost, almost guaranteed to, uh, hmm. to pop a motor. Um, that's not just like, you know, track day prep, but it's like, you know, people who are going seriously fast. I think that's a thing that almost everyone does. Um, hmm. I know I'm, I'm almost certain that some years back, Paul Curley lost an engine there. Um, and you know, I think some people try AccuSumps, but it seems like uh, with those motors being, uh, with, with built motors being expensive, I think people just tend to do the daily dry stump. I don't think Swenson's is actually even built. It's just he just doesn't want to blow it, right? I think he just took it apart and he rebuilt it, but that was it. Um, I didn't. I didn't watch his uh, his video on his newest one with the dry sump, but or or like much. I watched like a bunch of little stuff on brakes. I watched his first couple about trannies, uh, but he's doing some work, man. That's uh, well. I guess I'm. Try, I'm also impressed with the, the tools that he has available as well, right? Like you know, he's measuring uh, run out on the the trans or whatever, and he has the the right micrometers to measure, you know, all that stuff. And it's like, man. I didn't have any of that. Yeah, he's a, like a mechanic. Owns a small dealership. Has to do his mechanic work too. <laughs> it's funny though. I like, think when it's, you watch I think him it's at in his the dealer, videos, right? it's like always just chill. And uh, I, I wonder if he does any actual work. It. Uh, I bet you a small car dealership in Minnesota in the winter. It's like not a stressful environment. Probably like not. Day to day to day is probably pretty chill. <laughs> Um, I think that's actually his like dealer shop, isn't it? Like that's it could his... be, um, yeah. but like with his wife and family uh, always around. I hope that it's close to his house. Yeah, it'd be like him and his wife a pain in the dates, neck so. if it were across uh, across town. Yeah, I well, um I was at Andy's place a couple of weeks ago, and Andy uh, couldn't live more than three minutes away from his shop. Like it's oh, he's, crazy he's that close? close. That's kind of nice. So, yeah. Yeah. Like, like, uh, uh, I, I always find it like a super big pain to work on my car when it was at my parents. That's and not even that two, far. It's two blocks away. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want to go over there. <laughs> yeah. But like you, 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 you come home after work, like you help make dinner, you clean up dinner, hang out with the kid for a few minutes, you know, bathe the kid, fight with the kid about something, get her in bed. And then it's like, I don't want to go back there. Like I parked my truck two hours ago, you know, and now everything's cold. Yeah. Especially in the winter. Like it was like pulling teeth to get myself. I, I, that's why I spent like two years caging my car. Cause I caged it over there. I did all that fab work over there. And then I was like, I got to bring it back here to assemble. I'm not bringing everything back over there to put it back on. Well, you spend so much of your regular life, not being lazy that you're just like, man, I don't want to. After like, even like tonight, like what time is it? It is. It's 8.58, right? And, like, yeah, we got to make a show, and, like, I want to talk race cars, but, like, it's, the it's like, the the leading up to it where it's, like, it sure would be nice to, like, not do anything right now. Yeah. We, uh, yeah. We've been struggling to it. try and get uh, together to record. It's been challenging. Well, this, and this isn't even hard. Like, this isn't, like, I'm not, like, donning my welding fireproof jumpsuit. <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> just, like, uh we, uh, we, we sometimes uh, air our personal challenges on the show. I've been struggling quite a lot recently because, like, work situation's not good, uh, not very happy where I am, and, like, I don't know, man. I'm just, like, 
uh, everything's kind of got me down and I just like, I want to be myself again and I just don't feel like it. It sucks. You sound a little down. How's the kiddo? She, is she feeling she's anybody? back to normal. I'm, I'm happy for that. Good. So we, uh, she's been sick like the last five or six days. Again, she keeps bringing home nasty stuff from daycare and, uh, yeah, she was pretty good today. She's kind of eating, uh, lighter, but, um, she was kind of happy and, you know, back to, you know, normal, um, uh, skin color and she didn't have a no nasty more f- rash and all that. No more fever. Well, uh, I, I don't think I told you. She, yeah. She broke out and she had like a nasty rash for three or four days. It was gross. Ew, gross. Poor kid. Yeah. So doesn't know what, doesn't know what's going on. Just had rashes and fevers and then there's just white crap all over the ground. COVID <laughs> and just f- awful. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have had a, a fun, uh, fun first few months in your new house. Yeah. It's been weird, <laughs> man. Um, yeah. New house, new baby, new COVID, uh, skin rash time, you know, hate your job. <laughs> Do you want to air any job grievances or is this not the time of the place because know, you're man. searchable? It's just, uh, like people know I work in science. I, I feel like uh, the era uh, of like fundamental science and research at big companies is just kind of over. So like the thing that I do really well is just like, oh, it's not it's not a thing anymore. Yeah, because, you know, like shareholders want profits now. And so like investing in research is just not a thing. And it's like it's not a personal grievance on this company or any other company. It's just like that's just not a thing people do anymore. I don't think you've ever really. I mean, I'm sure people do that. Obviously, you have to do research in order to have the info from the research. Well, but it's probably yeah, it's it's uh, it's probably changing a lot. huh? Well, I you know, like. We, I, I think scientists will talk about the glory days in science of being like, you know, the, you know, the twenties to the seventies, right. Where you got like all the benefit of bell labs and you got the NASA space race and all this, um, yeah, you know, all yeah. of this research investment that happened during that period. Um, and it was an extraordinary time to be a scientist, but like, since then it's been really difficult to, um, like to do science outside of a university. So, right. um, industrial research can be really interesting, but like the company that I used to work for, doesn't do it anymore. The company that I currently work for, doesn't really do it. And so it's like, well, I don't know. Nobody does it. Um, but the, the, you've never even said really where you work, but like, um, the stuff that you do seems like you need to research things. Well, uh, I mean, that's, that's what I sometimes think but I've, I've been known to be wrong. Yeah. Okay. Well, I guess I mean, you can just wing it. Yeah. Right. So, um, I don't know. I just, I, I kind of had a rough day and was just like, man, I, uh, I got to fix this. Cause it's, it's just, it's, it's tough. I, uh, I can sympathize with the rough days. I've had some days, especially in the past, uh, the past like two months have kind of blown, man. I sort of hate the winter a lot. Well, you're busy working in the cold pretty much all the time, and the fact that it snowed like 10 million feet in the last couple of days didn't help you. Yeah, we were supposed to get like uh, two to six inches, I think, on Saturday night and Sunday, and we ended up getting the wettest, heaviest 17 inches I've ever seen. So wow. we have, um, I have just like an inexpensive electric like plug-in snowblower, and yeah. the the snow was so heavy where I was at. We didn't get nearly that much, but the snow was so heavy where I was at that it literally packed inside the snowblower and clogged the chute like every two mm-hmm. seconds. 
Yeah, that's a useless little snowblower. You need, you need some man stuff. Well, I can't I can't be spending seven hundred dollars on a snowblower in an area where it doesn't really snow. A couple of years ago, my dad and I um, I don't I don't really use a snowblower in my house unless it's like totally crazy and I like wake up to ten inches and can't shovel it like uh, like I would have on Sunday if I hadn't been out shoveling at at eight p.m. and then midnight again on Saturday, <laughs> but. Um, I didn't want to like cart the snowblower over to my house, you know, so I just figured I'll shovel three times. My driveway is pretty easy to do. I can throw it to both sides and all that. Uh, people that don't live in snow lands, like uh, the bi- the biggest part of like shoveling kind of seems to be like, where can you put the snow? And so, and like some driveways are much harder to shovel than others. Um, but yeah, a few years ago, my dad and I got like, we got like the king shit Toro, um, it's got a joystick like with like three bicycle cables that like moves the chute and, and like you can like aim it and direct it like a video game. It's neat. It's freaking amazing. Four stroke, like doesn't stink like two smoke stuff. So, um, uh, but, you know, this was obviously not the same. Uh, Ashley and I lived in Chicago at the time of snowpocalypse. And what was that like? Oh, yeah. yeah How did this most recent snowstorm compare? Hmm. It was... Um, I think it didn't come down as fast, but it's just about the same amount of snow as that. Okay. So, so I, it, like, I had, it didn't, I had about, uh, you know, horribly disrupt traffic in the same way. No, I think, I think a lot of that was because it was on like, literally, I think it was on like a Friday afternoon or something. Yeah. Um, this started like Saturday afternoon and they were like, it's going to be kind of bad. So like people weren't going anywhere. Yeah. Um, and so Saturday and Sunday, like it's, those are obviously the lighter commuting days anyway. Um, so the but, uh, uh, a a joke that Ashley will never let me forget is on the day of snowpocalypse it was like Friday and it wasn't it wasn't awful yet and I was just like I, I was frustrated about something and I like needed to um like my old computer was a pile of crap and I needed to update it and I was just mm-hmm. like let's go to Best Buy I'm gonna buy a computer and she's like f no you're not we're not going anywhere and so like <laughs> now every time that uh, it snows hard she was like let's go buy a computer. it's a good joke i get that joke i remember that day um being like totally stunned with like the aerial shots of lakeshore drive and like city buses just just, like parked there yeah and like some of the cars like is because of the wind off of the lake or whatever like some of the cars were like buried up to the top of the roof like they were there for like three days (laughs) i miss the lake so so much and like you're not you're not close to the lake but man i miss it I'm only like actually as a as a crow flies like I'm probably only three miles from the lake. So but. my place in Chicago was ten blocks. Okay, yeah, and I was just like we ask, didn't live in a, in a nice area or anything, but man, it was nice to be able to be that close to the water. Where was that Rogers Park? That you yeah. Lived? So like, uh, do you know where Loyola is? Yeah. Um, if if you're going north on Sheridan, there's like a Chipotle and Loyola and stuff. Uh, we lived um, basically at the corner of Clark and North Shore. Um, yeah, that, yeah, it was it was nice. We'd take the dogs for the walk. We'd let them swim in the in the water. You know, like just. I don't did know. you have both dogs when you were there? Yeah, we did. So, oh, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, we we got Harper like shortly before we left, like within a year okay. or so. But uh, that's actually like in the summertime. That's a cool area. There's a bunch of parks along the lakeshore, and uh, yeah, Sarah and I spent like a whole afternoon walking around there on a Sunday one time. Yeah, like Montrose Beach is really good for having dogs and stuff. Like, uh, mm-hmm. there are plenty of things not to like about the city, but like the 
the beach and the lake. I, I miss it a lot. I miss the yeah, lakefront path on my bike a lot. Yeah. I was going to say, if you live within like walking or bike, bike distance of the lake, that's a, that's actually like a cool spot. Uh, like, so I would, um, I don't know, like once or twice a week, probably in the summer, I would ride from my house all the way to the South end of the lakefront path, which is at what, like 71st or something. Um, yeah, down by uh, down by Science and Industry Museum. Farther than that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, past the it's it's yeah it's right down it's just past that like it's not too much past it. But there's yeah. a golf course on the uh, the east side of yep. the like the end. That's basically where it would end, and I'd turn around and ride back. It made for like a good three or four hour ride. It's chill. Mm-hmm. That was down, that was down where the World's Fair was held, like in what 1893. Yeah, um, Man, I that whole area. That whole area was like they they created that area because of the world's fair, I guess. And like Promontory Point's so beautiful, and like oh man, I miss it all. Um, mm-hmm. Ashley told me we can't move back to Chicago, so no, you're not allowed. No, um, it uh, like in, in order for us to have the same standard of living as where we have like here in Indianapolis, I would you need have to, to make, make a half a million <laughs> extraordinary sums of money, and like my job prospect for that would be like. We could probably do okay, but not not that okay. You could just live in the in the like uh, the gentrified semi hood, like I do. Well, uh, I think the problem is actually like rightfully. I mean, where we are right now has extraordinary schools and like uh, yeah. like a pretty. I mean, it's 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 okay for us. It's working out all right. But like to go anywhere is necessarily worse schools and more expensive quality of living. Probably the only place uh, like semi close to me that you could basically live the same life that you live is Northwest Indiana and like where they're building like a jillion new houses. It's a bunch of McMansions, you know, everything is. But then then I would have children who would say that they're from the region and I'd have to punch them. Oh, do they actually say that? there? Oh, God, the it's region? so gross. You're like, I see that in billboards, like the region. <laughs> no, it's it's like Northwest Indiana is people who want to claim that they're affiliated or from Chicago, and it's like, right. no, no, I'm sorry. they don't want to they don't want to pay the taxes. Of I'm Illinois. sorry, no, that'd be like saying that you're from Chicago but you live in Rockford. It's like, right, you, you, yeah, it's a suburb. No, it isn't. I'm sorry, it's not. Yeah, I'm from Chicago. Where are you from? Oh, Racine. <laughs> <laughs> fuck off it's a long way away get out of here uh i I could actually get to like i can get to the heart of downtown in the middle of the night in like 12 minutes so i consider myself sort of chicago but like yeah i don't live in chicago so like i live in chicago for for us to get to the same kind of like school districts and and have a house and whatever it'd be like highland park and or like I mean, we're we're not going to live in Wilmette or Winneka or any place like that. That would be crazy. But like, yeah, you like have to be in like the the base, like the basic uh, the basic bitch version is like Naperville. You know, oh, gross. <laughs> not that there's anything wrong with Naperville. <laughs> Man, Abe, you basically live in the Naperville of Indianapolis. Man, I don't know if that's true. I hope it's not true. It's hundred percent true. No, I feel like I feel like I've had this conversation before. I think Westfield, Indiana, is the Naperville. I don't know what that means, but. Uh, it's like, anyway. it's all new McMansions. Like there, there is like the, the town itself is basically just like uh cookie cutter plopped into a cornfield. Now we're well, like, Naperville's got a lot of 1970s and 80s stuff. Do they? So, oh yeah. Tons of it. I've worked on a gajillion 50 year old houses. Well, now that, that we like bit... lose all of our listeners, I might as well go for broke. Uh, you know, right. I, I don't really right. care about Schaumburg either. Gross. I don't know yeah, anyone Schaumburg. in their life who was like, man, I want to live in Schaumburg. <laughs> 
I I know we have a bunch of listeners that live in Schaumburg, but Schaumburg sucked these nuts, dude. <laughs> or like Skokie. Skokie might be worse. I don't know. Skokie's actually like close enough. To I mean, like at least you the, can take the, the Swift shore. to like get to you know the main uh, uh, CTA. Yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to cheer Abe up, so I'll, I'll like go down any any rabbit hole you want to go, man. Man, I I don't know. You want to talk shit on Des Moines? I'm in, baby. Man, you know what? I, I, I talked shit on Des Moines earlier today, actually. Did you? Really? What, what do you got to say about Des Moines? Uh, as, as a professional, I don't know how many people want to move to Iowa. That's all. Oh, man. Adam, uh, Adam Nielsen and uh, Robbie Vierhoff. Well, that's disagree. not fair. They're already from there. Well, that's true. They're stuck. They're, they're, yeah, they just literally haven't found better places yet. Yeah. But like to to be fair, I've only ever moved around the Midwest. It's not as if I've lived on the East Coast or the West Coast. Or, yeah, like uh, yeah, you've gone in like two hours in every direction. That's pretty much, it. yeah. Like uh, all, I mean, the farthest away I've gotten was Dayton. Um, yeah, and that's I've what, lived three in Michigan, hours? and I've lived in Chicago and Indiana. Mm-hmm. So. Um, yeah. Well, I've I've moved successfully to Grand Rapids for three years. And then I've moved successfully two blocks away from home. So, is uh, yeah. now is finding a house in your little corner of the woods was that just like a thing that you happened into, or was it like were you searching for a house in that neighborhood for a while? Um, well, we, we lived, you know, you know where my parents live. Yes. Uh, they they own the little tiny. It's like literally six hundred square foot rental house right next to them, and like that we lived there when we when we got married because like the little old lady that had lived there had moved out and so we just basically i uh they gave me a few months of free rent so i like semi remodeled it and like made the upstairs a bedroom and stuff before it was just like an attic you know um and so we moved in there and uh and then at that time we were uh in in the, the construction business aj's we were advertising on wgn radio and so we were, we probably spent like a whole summer or a year advertising on WGN, which is fucking expensive. At the time, at the time, WGN AM was like a, AM radio was like a huge radio station. That's still probably, but, um, so we were Man. getting, we were getting in, work in like the era of up. like, I guess, grid life and social media presence and whatever advertising on AM radio sounds ancient. Well, this was 14 years ago. Yes. <laughs> but, um, but like, that was a big thing, especially with the market that's, like, actually working on their houses. Like, they were listening to WGN. But we were going to Wisconsin, and we were going, like, an hour east and west. Because AM has, like, huge, like, presence, right? Like, they've got this, like, this, their audience is, like, 10 times bigger yeah, than Yeah, well, it's just mega long range, right? Right, right. Um, so you could, like, get WGM, WGN AM radio, like, there's Cubs fans because of WGN, like they're in Michigan, you know, yeah. like, um, <clears throat> so we were advertising on morning radio there and we, we spent a bunch of years going all over Chicago. Literally I worked probably in just about every suburb doing glass work. And, uh, and Sarah and I were like, where do we want to live? Where do we want to move? And we didn't have any money obviously, but like money be damned. We were going to like try to find the place that we wanted to be. And, uh, so I basically I worked in every subdivision and every town all over the, the suburbs, um, ever like and even in the city everywhere. And it's like I don't I don't like anything more than where we're at. <laughs> like this is the, the 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 main benefit of where we live is you can get on any highway. Pretty you can go quick, straight yeah. up in the city. 
Yeah, you're on, you're right off of I-80 and 294. You can like jump straight on on 294 or 94 or go south. Like we're right like in a hub of the bottom of the city, uh, right next to Indiana. Um, so it just ended up uh, Sarah's parents live across the street, and they were like, "Oh, the house across the street's for sale." And I was like, "What do they want for it?" And Your so, entire yeah. life is like an episode of Everybody Loves Raymond. You know that, right? Yeah, sort of like that. But yeah, we asked what they wanted for it, and then walked through it, and it was like, "Oh, that's too much money. I'm not gonna pay that." <laughs> so, so we lowballed them, and we got it. And so. And here we are. And now you have that beautiful bay window in your kitchen uh, overlooking the park. And, yeah, it's nice. I built all that stuff. But, yeah, the park at the time, so this big, like, it's probably one of the nicest parks in, like, the south side of Chicago or even, like, the southwest side of Chicago or anywhere. Like, it's a gorgeous park. And it's, like, the crown jewel of the town. Like, they put a ton of work into it all the time. Um, At the time, when they were selling the house, they had built this like retention pond, uh, which is now a very pretty pond, you know, with a big deck on it and stuff. They had dug it all out and they were, they were feeling real cheap for like a month and they had like taken all the dirt and they had built a mound behind the houses, like from where my house is all the way down to the end of the pond and end of the park, you know, like, and it was going to be this like elevated walking path and stuff. Um, and so nobody wanted to buy these houses this house because it had this stupid berm in the backyard right like literally right right in the backyard (laughs) and uh uh and i my my wife's grandma at the time she lived down the street and she was like rip shit pissed she was like 80 years old fiery and angry and uh, the nicest lady in the world until you put a berm in the backyard because she's looked at the park for 50 years right uh and so i knew that they were like holding meetings and everything that they were going to get rid of this berm like at all costs right and it was an eyesore stupid uh and uh, nobody was looking at this house because like it lost all the the value because the of the berm right um and i thought well now it's done by the house (laughs) yeah right yeah and uh and then they took the berm down and uh then we got a nice backyard so um yeah, and so I built everything on the house, redone everything on the house. It was kind of a dated, you know, nineteen sixties ranch when we bought it. But um I do love the neighborhood. Like and the neighborhood's only gotten better. Like the more work I put into it, like the rest of the neighbors are like, Oh, I gotta put stuff I gotta do stuff to my house and like a third of the time they pay me to do it. Yeah, you know? you're so, leading by example and you're but, uh reaping the benefits of getting all that extra work. Yeah. it's I, I feel like uh, and I never, uh, until a few years ago, I didn't feel like, you know, I mean, there's plenty of white people in this town that like ran to Northwest Indiana when some black people moved in. And like, I kind of like, I love the diversity and I lo- like, it's a really well run town. Um, it's, 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 uh, it's super convenient. Obviously you can get to any highway, uh, crime rates really low. Um, I'm not afraid of black people. I got tons of black friends. So like I'll hang out with black people. Um, but like, I, I feel like it's a pretty good place to raise a kid too, like especially with grandparents all around and my my brother and my wife's brother. They're both, you know, they both live in the same street as my dad. Um, That's why they have like, Bay Avenue. It's that is why my brother owns two of the houses there. My dad owns three of the or four of the houses. My brother owns four. My dad owns three of the houses on that street. That's the main reason. How many but, houses are on said street? Uh, oh, it's a lot of houses. But, um, I just feel like it's a good. It's a good like. Uh, you know, it's not a real bubble kind of a town. Like it's good, diverse, interesting town. And I think that's, you know, I think that's probably a good thing for a kid. Um, so it's not a bad place to raise a daughter. Yeah. 
I'm, uh, I don't know, man, the, uh, raising a kid thing with her being sick all the time has been a pain, but like, it's, it's weird. Like I'm, I'm ready for her to start doing more stuff. Um, yeah, it starts to get fun like around uh, six. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) At least for the dad, uh, the dad, uh, starts to enjoy it more when, when the daughter takes an interest in, uh, anything other than, uh, coloring books. So, um, (laughs) I realize this is a, a show about cars and uh, track stuff, but Boo. my my, uh, my my big thing, Ashley showed me that uh, if you put your hand kind of up near uh, Sloane's mouth, she mm-hmm. will uh, grab your hand and like you know put it on her mouth and like make make a ba 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 noise, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's just freaking adorable. <laughs> She's a pretty cute age right now. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, she can start doing things. When they start doing things, they get more and more interesting. And pretty soon they'll start doing more things and they get more interesting. Yeah. Well, like the first six months, man, it's just like, you know, do something. All you got to do is keep her keep her from dying. And so far, so good there, huh? Well, Unlike I mean, Screech. Yeah, yeah, but like it's been hard, man. feel bad that Screech died, man. <laughs> Sucks, <laughs> I didn't man. even know. Well, that was just a coincidence. So yeah, totally. the reason we're talking like, about Screech at all is uh, I was asking Adam if he wanted to record, and he pulled up a GIF of Screech uh, in Saved by the Bell, looking past some lockers, uh, looking well, around. You 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 asked like, hey hey, where's Austin? Because like we had we were trying to get him on the phone because we bought some Miatas, I guess. Um, and uh, and then I and it was like this this weird Screech GIF that like like looks around, and that was that was the first GIF that came up, probably because Screech died. It could be, yeah. So anyway. um, I think I talked a little bit about the trip to Barber. The uh, um, suspension on the car like needs work badly um, because I think everything is just kind of really tired, uh, especially the rear. I'm very confident the rear shocks are doing almost nothing. And so like, is, I, it, is it real bouncy over bumps or no? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say so. Yeah, and, um, pretty much shot. Yeah, I think so. But like Mugen stuff is, uh, annoyingly expensive like not not a surprise but for like shocks um there's no reason to spend that much money on shocks i think for the setup for like four it's it's like fourteen hundred dollars it's like for the oem stuff yeah is the oem mugen shock different than the oem like regular si shock i have to imagine it is at least a little but like okay. uh at, at that price point it's like well you should probably just buy coilovers it'd be better mm-hmm. So yeah, just keep the old stuff, throw it in a box. And, uh, I don't know, like do those things, do people rebuild old shocks or is it always just cheaper to No, but I, I mean, for a car like that, that actually has like quite a bit of like rarity. I would just keep all the old stuff that you take off. Well, my my car is a a heap anyway. Like I cut the, the rear, um, uh, the rear lips and the wheel wells and stuff out. Like it's the car's dying with me. Did you undercoat them or no? Not yet, but I haven't driven it either. Okay, you got you got you got to seal those up. Yeah, I'm gonna do that, but it's cold in my garage. Jeez, <sighs> Abe, it's not cold in my garage, and I got like a dumpy little house in the hood. Come on, man. Well, uh, get that get that house sorted out. Well, what I should do, like, if I want to heat the garage, I should just open up the uh, the door to the garage. But um, yeah, not a whole lot of heat is escaping into my garage, which means my garage is very cold. Is your are the outside walls of your garage uninsulated? I don't know. I would imagine drywall? not, but maybe. They have drywall on them or they no? They do. Yeah. 
Yeah, but if you have uninsulated un- uninsulated garage doors, you kind of SOL. Well, I looked because um, I, I think I had talked to you about replacing them because I thought they were crappy. And as I looked more closely, they appear to be nice garage doors. <laughs> Abe doesn't know much about garage doors. Well, you know what? That's why I have my friend Adam. Well, I'll get down there eventually once we're not in the Rona or like next time I'm in Indy. I'll stop by. So. <sighs> yeah. Um, it, it's a three-car garage, right? Yeah, uh, but it's like uh, the third stall is a little bit shorter, which I think is it, annoying. Um, is it about the same square footage as your old three-car garage? Or a little bit less. Okay. So, like, uh, the the minivan has to park in the middle stall uh, to mm-hmm. get easy access uh, in and out of the garage uh, into the house. So, like, right. that means that the Civic is parked on the left um, and all my crap that I've been too lazy to unpack and put away is on the right. So, eventually, lazy I'm going to eventually I'm going to sell all of my stuff that I don't need and uh, get rid of all the other stuff. So, if you're in the market for stuff, um, <laughs> hit me up because I, I got a lot of stuff. I've been actually in, like, a... Uh, so Mike Taylor, um, you've been on the show a few times. He's been rearranging his shop. He's actually got like a proper shop uh, in front of his house. Um, and uh, and I say in front because it's actually in front of his house. Like you drive up this like winding driveway and his shop's on the left. And then the house is like a few hundred feet up the driveway. It's pretty cool. Um, and uh, his shop, when I went down there for his wedding a few years ago, uh, it was like uh, – it looks like he had lived there for a thousand years and never thrown anything away. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want that at all. Uh, uh, growing up, been... my dad is a um, my dad's a real estate broker, but he started his career as like an auctioneer. And yeah. what my family did for work growing up would be like old person dies. They the estate hires my dad and us to go through that person's house and to oh, like. Boy. Uh, uh, go through all of the things and prepare for sale uh, via auction, all of the things. And then Holy like God. on a Saturday, we'd move all the shit outside and we'd spend all the day there just doing an auction and selling it. And so like um, I have a specific appreciation for and an aversion to like accumulating stuff. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, Mike's been organizing and he'd like, he hasn't even like tried that hard to sell stuff, but he's like sold thousands of dollars in stuff. Yeah. Right. And like, I'm, I walked I'm like, around my basement and my garage. And I'm like, I don't want that. I don't need that anymore. I'm not going to use that thing. Holy shit. There's five grand laying well, right here. Like, uh, now that the Evo was gone, when I was moving, I, I was just kind of in a position where I didn't really have a place for any of this stuff. And I didn't know like what, I, I didn't know how to find a market for X, Y, Z things. So like right. I threw away a bunch of like AN hoses that were PTFE lined. And it was like, like, yeah, I mean, there's, there's no doubt someone who could use this, but like, how do I make sure that they get it? Dude, you, know? you just got a Facebook right now, Facebook marketplace and like the chassis specific forums are the place I'm selling things. Okay. Uh, but I don't uh, really have any, much Evo stuff anymore. I did sell most of it. Did you sell the old, the other engine or no? Uh, yeah, that, I, I think I got like 1500 bucks for that. It was just a, oh, nice. uh, it was just a, a, a short block and it was, I mean, it was, it was, it the, was just a factory one, right? Yeah. So, um, but that um, was, that was a while back. I, all the big sales are gone and I gave, uh, I gave my 
Evo 10 diff to Dan O'Donnell yeah. uh, because it was really heavy and it was in my garage. And I said, uh, Dan had expressed interest in buying it, but like wanted to wait for a little while to save some money. And I, I was like, Dan, I want this out of my garage right now. Uh, you can Please have it. it. Just come pick it up. <laughs> That's a good idea. Hey, giving stuff away. I mean, uh, I got no, uh, I got no complaints there, man. Sometimes when you just give things away, they disappear. <laughs> well, and like there, I guess there's something to be said to to pay it forward a little bit, or like you know, oh, yeah, it yeah. had been, I had moved it once already. It had been in my possession for like four years, and I hadn't done anything with it. So like I, uh, I'm kind of in a similar mindset with like a bunch of I got so many like I've been deep into this like D series Honda world and uh, and now I think I might be stuck in F series Honda world for a while and so I got a bunch of like D series motors and I'm probably not going to do anything with and I have like 23 D series transmissions um, which they're like rare and scarce. How but, much like, is a D series trans worth? They were worth nothing, and now they're probably worth like 150 200 bucks. Okay, so like, like sell 15 of them and go buy yeah. like go buy an S2000. Uh, or just like have a have a tuition savings account for my daughter. Yeah, that too. <laughs> I, you know what? Like, yeah. I, I realize the work that we do and the industry that we're in as, as our extracurricular activity, like, I am so much more thoughtful about spending any money than I was like 10 years ago. Dude. Yeah. Five, 10 years ago. I mean, I, luckily I didn't have any money. Uh, I didn't even have much money like six years ago. Right. Like, and I don't have a lot of money now, but I have more, like, I had a, I've been working really hard and paid off a lot of debt in these businesses. Right. And so like I got, I took like an average person's salary and I, and I still live on like a salary of somebody that lived off of like 19 grand. And so it's like, wow, I made 60 grand this year. Holy shit, I'm rich. <laughs> so, well, like, uh, uh, yeah, so I like, talked with Swan um, at Fortunato and, like, uh, kind of got a price on some 510s. And I was like, yeah, that's a that's a fantastic price. But, like, I don't, I don't feel comfortable spending it right now. So I'm just going like, to Don't, don't want to spend it, huh? <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I I don't know how I did it. I think it was reckless abandon before where I was just like, well, just spend it. Money's for spending. Yeah, money is for spending. But uh, you probably put a lot of money in that Evo. I don't like like it was reckless for a while. Yeah, you like you. You did all the things. No, I mean, it was reckless for a long while. I mean, like like, for years, uh, um, there was a period of time that and so maybe you could argue that maybe some of this was, was correcting my mistakes, but there was a period of time where on average I was spending a thousand dollars a month for 18 months to get my car back together and get everything sorted and get it right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, that's way too much money. I don't recommend that anybody do that for any reason ever. A lot of money, man. It's a lot of money. It's a mortgage right there. So like, uh, I I think like the average car enthusiast, um, probably spends a quarter of that and like doesn't even think twice about it. Yeah, probably. Uh, um, or, or even half of that, like 500 bucks. Like right now I'm, I'm kind of in project land with my car and I sold the supercharger and I sold a few other things. I'm like, all right, I got a couple grand of fun money. Right. Uh, and so I'm going to do this the way I wanted to, like, I'm going to, I'm going to buy some parts and I'm going to like fabricate some things and like 
CNC CAD draw some things and like have them cut and stuff. And I'm probably into my car, into my like in the engine bay, and it's an old engine too. Like I'm not doing anything fancy with the engine, but like just in like bits and pieces. I'm into it for like twelve hundred bucks, and like I'm playing with house money, right? Like I I did okay in the supercharger, so I'm, I'm just you know I'm even Steven, right? But like I look around, I'm like wow, there's a lot of fifty dollar things in here. Yeah, <laughs> like, right. $50 20 times is a thousand dollars. And I got a lot of those. I got a lot of $50 things. Worse. Yeah. So yeah, like, and the cars can add up, man. They can well, add up. Even old Honda Civic. On, on my Civic, um, I'm pretty sure that if I did the coils on it, like I've already got track wheels and I've got tires and like, we just did a clutch. Um, like you could probably just do that and drive it as is. I really, um, at the track, it, it wasn't, uh, like tail happy at all. Um, right. which I think Finch was, uh, looking for, but yeah, like, you probably wanted to rotate more. I wasn't, I thought it was great. You know, I, I thought I felt that the car was under me the entire time, if that makes sense. Right. And so, so you were, you weren't, you weren't trying to drive past its limits. You were like pretty comfortable where it was. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like, um, I'm sure that, well, especially since we have the data, um, the car has more potential than I could get out of it. And I think in part, it was just like ripping into every corner was how you get the most out of it. Right. How about the brakes? Did they hold up? Okay. Yeah, they felt fine. Um, didn't overheat, no fading didn't, didn't need to fade, nothing like that. Um, I okay. actually, uh, I should have went and bought some spare rotors. Um, I didn't. And it was fine. Yeah. So well, um, a, lot, a lot of times you can make a new set of brake pads just bed back in by getting them hot as shit. So. Well, uh, I did notice, though, um, this is the first time I've ever used. Uh, we had a I, I bought Hawk DC DTC 60s um, and they were they were a decently inexpensive pad for the front. Um, I was surprised at how much they wore just during one weekend. So you're getting pretty hot then. Must must be. Yeah, I was like, yeah. wow. Like, if I go to another event, I should probably have some pads just to be safe. Really? Yeah, okay. probably. Um, So my car has, I think, the same pad shape as your car because I have Spoon ITR calibers, and they're the same or really, really close. Um, And my car, but my car is probably, what, six, 700 pounds lighter than yours? Yeah. Um, And I did... I put the I put these things on used. I bought them used from Andy Work, uh, who's driven, driven Honda Challenge and GLTC a bunch. Um, and they probably had a third of the life gone. And I think I still have half of the life. And I did the whole season, did like three days of HPDE. Uh, not the whole season, but like, you know, they've been on track probably eight, nine hours, ten hours. Well, like, I, 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 I guess I, I guess it just them. depends on what you're used to because – in the I, Evo, I mean, I, what I'm saying is you probably are, you're probably getting them pretty hot. You're probably right at the limit of the brakes. So. Probably. Cause um, I'm, I'm way underutilizing the brakes. In the Evo, I consistently ran, um, an ST 43 pad. Um, yeah. And those things, uh, for me were just about perfect. They were everything that like I want out of a pad. And they also had, uh, quite a bit of life. I mean, they weren't like a cheap pad to start, but, like they lasted a very long time. Oh um, yeah, that that's like known to last a long time. And those were the pads I I took on one lap, and like 
you know, obviously you don't recommend street driving it forever, but like you could do it. And yeah. uh, for the, for the trip for one lap, like they were great. Did you, do you didn't change them when you got to the tracker? No, no time for that. You just ran it, huh? Just run it. Yeah, man. Just send it, baby. <laughs> um, so, uh, you didn't watch the 24 hours of Daytona. I thought it was, it was decently cool. Um, I, I, actually ended up watching, watch, I probably watched 10 minutes of it. I think I probably watched 10 hours of it. Wow. Yeah. It was just like on in the house all the time. I was working on stuff and like, you know, did I, you get the track pass or whatever they call uh, it? I the bought that last year. And like, I'm pretty sure that I bought it for Daytona and uh, the subscription appeared to be about 18 months instead of, uh, or not 18, like 15 months instead of 12. So oh. like mine's good until May. So like, nice. yeah, I, I, I watched track pass, which was nice. It's only like what? Three or five bucks a month. It's like two ninety nine a month or $20 for the year or something like that. Yeah. But you yeah. do, you, you do that for uh, 50 years and then it's a thousand dollars. That's true. I, I probably <laughs> won't do it for 50 years, but yeah. Uh, yeah, Wayne, Tw- uh, Wayne Taylor won again, which is awesome. Um, it was Acura's first win in DPI, which is pretty cool. Is and, Wayne Taylor running at DPI now? Uh, yep. Uh, so I mean, uh, in Acura now? Yep. They, uh, I think they switched over last year or this yeah. year. Um, I, as far as I know, they like, they, they took over the, the program that Penske had basically, which was like, you know, Penske was running the Acuras a couple years ago. And I think yeah. that that like, those resources ended up just coming to Wayne Taylor's program, which is based mm-hmm. here in Brownsburg. Uh, I've been to the shop. It was very cool. Me and Gary hung out there and looked at Lamborghinis and mm-hmm. disassembled prototypes, which was awesome. Yeah. That's gotta be a cool shop. Um, and Gary uh, actually like lived behind that shop for a while in his, in his RV. <laughs> man, I need Gary to do more Wayne Taylor stuff so that I can go over yeah. there more often. We should have Gary and on the ate, show. And you ate dinner to next to Wayne Taylor one time. Right? And he fed me steak. And I will, cool. I will continue to say that on the podcast every chance I get because that was a, a very strange moment in my life. Yeah, that's so bizarre. <laughs> well, uh, that was in mid-Ohio, right? Yeah. So me... Where, and, where was there a steakhouse? That uh, we, went, uh, we went to Eddie Merlot's in Columbus. So it was like 45 minutes away. Dan Lewis... Uh, Dan Lewis, the company that he worked for was sponsoring the Wayne Taylor program. And Dan was there like kind of glad handing and doing all the stuff. And he's like, Hey, you want to come to dinner with Wayne? And Ashley and I were like, yeah, definitely. That's so cool. Um, but yeah, the, one of Wayne's sons won, uh, another Rolex, but his youngest son, I guess, uh, Jordan, one in the Corvette factory car, which is also yeah. cool. So imagine, you know, imagine both of your kids win Rolexes on the same day with different that's teams. Crazy. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Is, is, uh, yeah, Jordan won the Corvette. Um, his other son runs, uh, Ricky runs in his team still, right? Correct. So I think okay. they both had left last year or, or for 2020, maybe. Um, and then Ricky came back, uh, to run the DPI team this year, but mm. I, uh, I don't know. We, we did talk with, uh, Jeff Brown, uh, about, you know, pro racing stuff. I, I think yeah. we should talk to Jeff again because like all it's of the BOP discussions yeah. and yeah. like how you, how you strategize and compete in pro racing at that level is, is really interesting to me. 
Yeah, uh, it, it it is. It's interesting, and it also kind of turns me off on pro wrestling. It totally sucks. Uh, we talk. Yeah. You and I talk a lot about the 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 caliber of drivers in the GLTC field, and it's like uh, these guys aren't slow, man. Like if you know if if they had the backing, I'm sure they would run just fine in these pro uh, these pro programs. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, there's plenty of dentists that like you know the top half of the GLTC field could run with. <laughs> And those dentists can also run LMP3 cards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's been a meme uh, floating around the last few days about uh, dentists in P3. And uh, yeah. it's, what was it? Like two guys are standing next to each other. And one guy looks as if he's going to attack the other with a knife. And it, mm-hmm. one of the, the person like crawling back in fear is pro drivers uh, watching out for P3 dentists. And then yeah. the person with the knife is P3 dentist at Daytona. I, I, I feel bad for dentists, but it's always like, I don't know why, but like it, like whenever you get the, like the bought the ride pro driver, everybody just has for years has called them the dentists. And like, probably because there's been plenty of them that are dentists. But, um, but at the start of the race, there was, there was a collision in one of the GT classes where like, uh, it looked as if the a car behind kind of jumped a little early before green, and at the very beginning of the race, before everyone was green, there was a collision, and the back end of a Porsche was just like completely effed. Before they even passed the green flag. Correct. Oh jeez, guys, come on. Yeah, that sucks. How many? How much? Uh, I saw that there were a couple of long cautions. Like how much of the race was under caution? It felt like a lot. Um, right. but I mean, it's a 24 hour race. I think there were probably like 12 or 13 extended cautions. Um, yeah. I heard some of them like in the 20, 25 minute range. Yeah. That's, uh, um, that's racing. It's a big place. It's a big place though. Like, I, I feel so much regret, regret in my life for not having gone with you guys to Daytona when you went endurance racing a couple years ago. That was a crazy weekend. Like I, when I drove into that place and I'm like driving like a 65 foot rig, like an RV towing a trailer and stuff. And I was like, I got out and like, it looked like I was driving an ant. Like when I, when I like walked a block away, like it was the tiniest thing, right? The whole, the place is so freaking huge. Well, it's, it's unreal. I, I think it's interesting because when I go to Coda, I mean, Coda is uh, widely respected as having some of the best facilities uh, for like teams and whatever. Um, yeah. it, it is a world-class facility. Absolutely. But, um, like when I go there and it's not a formula one weekend, um, it feels so, uh, like vacant and, yeah. um, like temporary, I guess is maybe the right word where like all of the infrastructure, a lot of it gets brought in for formula one and then it all disappears. Yeah. And if you compare that to like Indianapolis <laughs> or Daytona, where it's just like this, this gigantic mega structure racetrack. That's just like, it's a cathedral to racing and it's always yeah. there. Um, yeah. It, that's exactly what it felt like. It felt like it, it felt like the, it felt like this crazy, it felt like the, you know, the pyramids, the great pyramid of Giza for racing. Like it was insane. Like I literally, I was like, I spent two, three days there and I was just like, Every time you like get up on top of the roof of the garages or whatever, and the garages were really nice, you know, they weren't like Coda, but they were really nice. You get up on top and you like look around, and you're like, holy shit, <laughs> this place is freaking huge. Yeah, it's just like it's so big, man. It's, it's just crazy. crazy. We should run and, an and event like, at Daytona. 
I would love to go down there again. I don't know if I want to, like, I, I drove an hour in the race and it was fun, but like, I don't have any desire to drive. It was like kind of cool, but, um, but just being like literally being up on the roof of the garages, like near the end of the race and like looking down past start finish and towards turn, you know, NASCAR one or whatever they call it. Like it felt like it was two miles away. Like it's so in the grandstands, just, it's like a mountain. Like when you're down in pit lane, the grandstands are a mountain off to your left. Like it's so crazy. Well, and I it's, think that's a, a little bit of a different experience from Indianapolis, which Indianapolis, of course, is giant as well. And there's a lot yeah. of stuff going on in the infield. But like I, I imagine the bowl that you're in in Daytona just feels crazy. Dude. And, and I remember talking to Gary um, and, and him talking about like, you know, being IMSA races in the 80s or whatever. Um and like literally, like you couldn't get you couldn't get your driver to come in. So like, you, you could like literally just walk straight out to the edge of the track and like wave a flag at a guy <laughs> because so there were no barriers or anything. Like it was all so different back then, like the early eighties or late seventies or whatever. If you um, compare that to yeah. like now, where IMSA <clears throat> is logging every single aspect of every single car and looking at air fuel ratios and looking at boost and and just like everybody has complete control of everything. If you compare that yeah, to the it's 80s, it's just like so different, man. Yeah. Back, back when they would like lose cylinder three, they would like take a BB or a marble or whatever and like pull it off, drop the marble in and cap off the mechanical fuel injection <laughs> just so they could keep running. That's so. And, and now they would know exactly the exhaust gas temperature so that, it, so they would be able to lean it out from track side so that it didn't overheat things. <laughs> Yeah, very different, man. I saw like a picture of like of scrutineering, and uh, they got like you know this multi-level like scale setup, and then the car drives directly onto a lift. So they can jack lift it up in the air and like scrutineer underneath of it and like drop it back down. It goes back onto this. It's like an eighty-foot-long like gantry setup <laughs> that you're like a bridge setup that you just drive across and it does all the things. It's uh. Yeah. Well, but when, when Jeff was talking about, you know, pro racing at that level though, one thing that stood out to me and I'll probably never forget was, um, you know, he basically said the competition doesn't happen on race day. The competition is how to game the BOP to get the advantage. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. It's, I mean, obviously you got to drive well and you got to do good pit stops, but like, uh, you still have to like be on your A game, but to be on your real A A game, you got to have, yeah, you have to have manipulated for the previous two races, right? So um, the end of the race, I thought, was was pretty exciting. I don't know if you watched the end. But up until maybe 11 minutes to go in the race, um, Wayne Taylor was being chased by uh, one other team. Um, name escapes me right now. But, like, you know, 23 hours and 50 minutes into the race, uh, right. they were separated by, like, one second um, it's crazy how, how the BOP is so close to. And like, uh, a, a tire puncture pulled that team uh, into the pits. Like the tire basically just like exploded. And so like at oh. that point, the the win was um, almost, you know, it wasn't given to the, the Wayne Taylor team, but like I think they were five or six seconds ahead of what would then be the, the second place car. But like even that, the fact that most of the DPI cars were within, you know, a few seconds to me is insane. Can you imagine being the team that's in P2 and like, and then you have a tire get cut? Oh, uh, it was the Chip Ganassi imagine? team. 
Yeah, oh, they really? were like in the hunt to to make the pass, and they were they were charging hard, um, and they they had a tire explode, and that was it. I can't imagine the feel after like twenty three and a half hours of like just being on your A game. Everything's perfect. You're working your ass off. You're so dialed. Your drivers are perfect. Like everything's perfect, and you're like you could see the other guy. He, he, everything's been perfect there too. <laughs> and like, you've spent your hundred thousand dollars of tire budget, which is like what they're spending for this event. It's um, so crazy. Katil said that the tire budget for the NSX, the year that they ran it with the heart team at, at the 24 was like 76,000 bucks. Just so, for tires. That's so crazy. Yeah. So, and so you imagine DPIs are probably a hundred, right? Yeah. Um, but, and this was like five years ago, four years ago. Um, but like everything's been perfect, twenty three point seven five hours, right? Like perfect, perfect, perfect tire cuts. Like that is the biggest f u. Like oh, can you imagine how hard you hit the steering wheel with your hands? I, I think oh, what they I, said I, I'm like uh, on the commentary was that the the driver radioed in and asked if the tires were okay, and the team replied back, yeah, everything was fine. And then almost immediately after the tire uh, let go, so the driver like felt it going probably. Oh, it's so wild. Racing is hard. Yeah. Man. Oh man, it's so hard. I like I feel so gutted that like that would happen with it with like no time to fix it either. Like if it happens with ten hours to go, like it's way less gutting. Even if it has the same even if it has the same like uh you know, final outcome. Like there's that hope, right? Yeah. But you got no hope and there's eleven minutes. So, <laughs> so Ashley Ashley saw some of the post race um interview stuff. And I, I obviously didn't get her. I didn't see it. So she kind of told me about it. Um, and uh, apparently when they like interviewed Wayne after the win and he was pretty candid with his remarks, um, uh, saying that he'd had some celebratory vodka near the end of the race, um, and then dropped an <laughs> F bomb on N- like on NBC. And I was like, yes, this That's is awesome. exactly what I want. <laughs> Yeah, that's a dude that's been racing a long time, man. He gets a gets to swear when he wins Rolex. Yeah, right. Another Rolex. I think that's what, like four out of five, something like that. It's uh, probably a lot of Rolexes there. Man. I wonder if he gets to keep the Rolex. I imagine he does. I I think so. Man. Yeah, that that uh, like uh, when I was younger, probably ten years ago, that was the first time I watched the Rolex Twenty Four, and. You know, I was a, a broke dick loser, and I thought, "Oh man, pro racing—that's that's what I want to do." <laughs> can you can you imagine uh, thinking that now? I can't even imagine. Well, it's it's so weird, right? Because like, as I have gotten to know more about pro racing, yeah. all the way up, like all the way up, yeah. Um, the you know the the single biggest decider on whether or not you get to drive is whether or not you can afford to buy your seat and if but that's it also it seems so unattainable even like even just to get your name in there like the fact that like uh you know i know some people that were racing this weekend like and i know where they came from and i know i know one of them like in gtd robbie foley like he didn't come from money like he actually like he worked his way into that spot got there uh, he won the MX-5 Cup something or other, you know, like did the Mazda ladder system. And he's well, been on no, the Turner team for I'm not saying anything about the people but that like, are working their way through, but like. Uh, it's so impossible. Those, it's impossible. It's almost impossible. Right. 
So like literally almost impossible. It's it's like all the like everything, all the pieces have to fall in place. And then I you didn't still realize you like, knew him. Uh, uh, Andrew I don't know him. I know from his Apex dad. Bro said that uh, we should have him on the show. Yeah, I know his dad fairly well from the forum that shall not be named. Um, but yeah, I'm sure we could get Robbie on the show, no problem. Yeah, we should probably do that. Uh, we've yeah. got a bunch of shows that we should do. Um, I think we've got one tomorrow talking about GPS sensors. Um, oh, yeah, that's Wednesday, isn't it? No, so, yeah, it's Wednesday. Uh, I want to yeah. do a show with Eric Streeter um, to talk about, like, lunch breakdown stuff. Right. Um, we're like behind. It's been s- it's been difficult the last couple of weeks to. Dude, to- Eric's got so many cars we could do lunch breakdowns on. He built a Mini Cooper, rear wheel drive, or maybe it's no, it's front wheel drive actually. I think uh, with a with a high abuser GSXR motor in it. That's <laughs> like, that's what I want. Yeah, I want to hear about all his dumb cars. And it, the man has an appreciation for uh, Lotuses, which is also awesome. You could say those are finer things, but he's also a glutton for punishment at the same time. That's true. Um, yeah. What else do we want to do? Oh, uh, big shout out and thank you to uh, a renewed partner for the show, FCP Euro. All parts are guaranteed for life, so if you're not buying your Euro parts from FCP Euro, you're blowing it. Um, yeah. And so we're going to do some stuff with those guys talking about GLTC builds and maybe – um, TCR cars, untapped of- market, I guess, for like European GLTC cars because there are some, uh, but maybe and time attack. They've, they've got a few ideas for the new new class that hasn't been uh, released yet. So, um, so um, we really enjoy working with those guys, and they're going to have some more content on the show talking about what they would do. Um, I think actually Ben Maruski is building a mini for GLTC, so that'll yeah, be he, a good discussion. He, he's been building it for a couple of years. He ran Time Attack with us for a few years, and yep. then he started working at FCP, moved, uh, hasn't driven with us since, except for I think at Shenandoah uh, in his daily. Um, but yeah, there uh, his his old Time Attack mini is like fully GLTC preps. So. Sick. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. But yeah, they've got a cool. They've got some like you know they got they they have experience with like street class level builds. I think uh, Nate is building um, or has basically built like a daily driver, but like qualifies for street mod type uh, golf. Um, but yeah, I, w- I really also want to talk to to uh, Michael about uh, driving a TCR car well, and also flat spotting tires at Road America. Uh, yeah, almost crashing at the kink. Like, <laughs> that's the, that's the gnarliest crashed. video I've ever seen at Road America. Yeah, that's a gnarly crash. A gnarly almost crash. So. Um, what else do we have? So I used, um, Finch and I used the Apex Pro um, at Barber and uh, there should hopefully be a video and um, article up on Tracktune coming soon. If I ever, you know, get out of this funk and like put my head back on to do some writing. Um, yeah, put the head on, dude. But like, uh, it was a really cool setup. We used it a lot. Finch is so much faster than me. He knows it. I'm just saying it like on the podcast so that when he hears it, he knows that I know it. He's also like an Apex Pro power user almost. Like he's really deep into it. Really, really deep. So, um, it was it was fun to like sit down with the data and and kind of take the next step and say like okay well you know where where are the key points and basically on Friday um, at or excuse me on Saturday at the end of the day for our track day he and I were separated by only a couple of tenths and I think he took that uh, in in Michael Jordan fashion he took that personally and uh, <laughs> on on Sunday he like 
I mean, he made you his bitch. Pretty much. Like as we went through the data, I improved by about a second and I think he improved by like three and a half seconds. So like when you go through the, uh, the time Delta between our two laps, uh, where is he faster? Well, just, just everywhere. There's not any corner that's specifically important at the time. Delta is basically like a line with a very typical slope. It just goes like straight all the way to the end of the uh, the lap. We should we should rename this uh, dentists without licenses. That's what we should uh, you know uh, non practicing dentists talk about race cars. <laughs> uh, armchair yeah. dentists. Uh, yeah, and that's that's probably where we lie. You know, we're good enough to run with people, but like, yeah, there's people that are better. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's fair to say that too because like I was, I mean, in the car, it felt like I was driving fast. It wasn't like oh, I was yeah. like really putting around. Um, at the same time, it's just like, well, he was just a lot faster. Uh, my CRX uh, at, at Mid Ohio, I was like, damn, Tom was three seconds faster than me. Fuck me. <laughs> well, like the the other thing too is I was in the car for most of his laps, and the really fast ones are like, I mean, they're they're not like, oh, that's just faster. They're kind of like insane. Like, oh, the car's almost out of control. Here, 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 and here. Yeah. Um, right. Right. That's like, how you it, get out all of it. Dancing, like dancing on that fine line of like, yeah, we're going to put it into the wall, but we're not because I did it right. <laughs> it just, it just straight up doesn't go faster. This is as fast as it goes. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that, that as a passenger too, like when you come out of a turn and like, and your eyeballs just get like wider and you're like, wow, I guess that worked. <laughs> that's a, that's a weird feeling in the right seat. You well, know, I rode with like, Tomo at mid Ohio in my Evo back then, uh, back in the day. And I was like, well, there's no way we're making this corner. Um, I don't remember the specific corner number. It's the left hander before the carousel kind of at the end of the track. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. And you're you're kind of super wide, really really close to the guardrail, and you turn in, and he the like, it was it was insane how fast he went through that corner, and I was like, okay, well like, I yeah, can't. Do I suck that. at that turn. That's a hard turn. Yeah, where you put the right side mirror right against the wall there. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I, I suck at that turn. Every time I come out of that turn, I'm like, well, I could go faster there. You you b i t c h. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> if you had uh, if you had your Apex Pro, it would tell you that you should go faster. I uh, know. I uh, I actually I did have it uh, at the track this year. I didn't have data log capabilities, but I did have the green lights, which I love using the green lights because they tell me that I'm not going fast enough. Right. So like uh, the way we had it set up, I I didn't. It was kind of in my periphery, so I wasn't looking at it as much as I would have liked to. Um, I had uh, I I got one of Andrew's new mounts. Um, for phones and um, so like we put that unit the, the the phone mount and the apex pro kind of in the center uh, of of the the windshield rather than like somewhere in my immediate view i mm-hmm. i think i would have liked the apex pro itself to be in front of me rather than like on the side even if it's yeah. like below my sight line or something I, it would be i think it would be great to just have it like there and That's that, where I've got mine in my car. I've actually got a mount on my dash bar, like just like maybe a couple inches to the left of my periphery, like or my ga- gauge cluster, basically, like right under my windshield. Um, mainly so that because like my my favorite use of the Apex Pro, because the thing I always I always struggle on is kind of being a uh, being a wimp and braking, you know. Yeah. 
Uh, and I think that's like, for me, that's the thing that I can really, really always improve on, like in almost every car. And well, that thing really tells you when you're being a wimp. <laughs> so there were a couple of corners, and I know that Finch told me um, the the way that he was doing it and and what he thought would be faster. There were a couple of corner entries where uh, hard break uh, in uh, hard break off after a straight, and um, you know downshift a gear in that car, turn in and make the corner. Um, in, in these cases, they were like a couple of, of small chicanes, I guess. And I was doing all of my braking uh, and the downshift on that hard brake first and then like taking third gear to enter that corner. And he's like, I don't think so. I think you should just like brake hard and just chuck it in and forth and then do your downshift right at the end. And if you like go and look at the data, um, in, in some of our laps that were close, that would have been a an excellent way for me to take a big chunk of time. Yeah, uh, it's it was little just, things like that too. Yeah, it was it was one of those things where like there's a lot happening in the car right at that second, and like trying to do it all at the end for me was like it's it's kind of a jump where it was like okay, well like that's hard. That's a lot of stuff. Uh, yeah, I want to spread this out over more time because I'm not very good. <laughs> well, it's also like the first time that you've driven, like. Uh, really probably in a year like you did a little bit of stuff here and there but like it's been a while man yeah i did um yeah i did no it's been it's been like my own car it's been two years since i went to the track basically yeah Um, and like actually probably had a session in anger yeah. yeah and like we got back to that and it did feel good um but now there's like you know i i want to be able to to do it again yeah, I, I'm comfortable with like with my level of mediocrity, and I want to preserve that level of mediocrity. Um, I don't, I don't know about the people that like. I, I feel like it must be terrible to have that like burning desire to win everything. That must be that must be so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I I would like very much to to pick up that set of Fortunato coilovers before we go to NCM, but like. If I buy them, then I'll probably want to go back up to Andy's to like get the car uh, corner weighted and realigned. Oh, and all that, that stuff, stuff is silly. We can do that in the paddock. Come on. Well, maybe. Yeah, um, I got a string set up that we could probably. I mean, you come up here, we can use my string line set. I, I built a set of uh, of strings. Yeah, uh, and you can do that for like, you know, a full string alignment, like a string box set up for your car. You can do that with like hardware store stuff and for like fifty bucks. Okay. If, if and then you you've got the scales already, so we could corner weight it if we wanted to. Yeah, the grid life scales belong to me because I bought them. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and I think on a street car, on like a basic car like that, uh, that matters a lot less than like a. I'm trying to get every tenth, every tenth, and every. Like, well, that's true, but uh, those those homeboys at Pro Awesome owe me a uh, a favor. So like. I told Mike that uh, he should just like help me set up this car as the, you know, the daily that it is. But like, I I should use his service and expertise for something. So it might as well be like setting this up right so that it it is at least fun to drive on track and it's as good as it's going to get. Yeah. And if it's fun to drive on track uh, and like you didn't get deep into the mods and put like a thousand horsepower through it, like it's also like a pretty fun, you know, drive through the cornfields car. Like there's nothing wrong with that. 
uh, and I think that this is an important point to make. I know that most of the audience probably drives on track or wants to. Um, yes, I could now modify this car to go faster um, than I did at Barber uh, a couple of weeks ago. But that doesn't change the skill gap that exists between Finch and me. So like modifying the car makes both he and I faster. It doesn't make me faster. Right. Well, so and like, at some point you also got to like find like, like I can see the mods where it's like, Oh yeah, the brakes aren't, aren't as good as I want. I'm using too much brake pad or the brake fades. Like that's a great mod, put bigger brakes on it, put better brakes on it, make a better pad choice and make a different pad choice or fluid choice or whatever. Uh, or like, Oh, I'm getting cupping on the outside of the tire and it's rubbing the fender and I had to cut the body and all that. Jet. Well, yeah, get some more camber back there. Like those kind of mods are great. But like, you don't need to put a blower on that thing. Nope. I don't, I <laughs> certainly don't need any more horsepower. Cause like I want to, I would really like to get to the point where I can just like wheel the piss out of this car. Yeah. And it's a perfect car for that. And like, if you blow it up, you're $900 away from a K24 swap. Yeah. You should just like put Andy on retainer and just be like, all right, needs another one. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah. I think the, the, the power level that I'm seeking with my car uh, is kind of like in that same place where it's like, I really would, I just want to beat it up. I want it to have a cheap engine. Uh, I want it to be fast enough where I'm like, well, this car is not slow, but like not fast enough where I have to come in after three laps and fix it. Um, yeah. I mean, seat time is still seat time. No matter like if you want to be comp- in competition or whatever, like that's what we do this for is like to be out there doing the thing. Um, I have no desire to go faster and faster and faster anymore. Like it's over. Like I have no desire to to be a time attack hero. Anymore. You just don't want to be Turbos. in the chase, man. But yeah, I want to be. I want to be in GLTC. When a, the few times a year that I race, I want to be. I want to be solidly mid pack, and I want to find myself a good battle. Uh, and I want. Uh, mainly, I want to do that just to keep myself like mentally sharp uh, and like literally for six months or a year, I'll like live off of the, the daydreams of those battles too. Like that's super, that's super motivational to me. Sure. To keep doing. It like, uh, if you work in this, you know, job that, that takes a lot out of you, it, it, in some ways it puts a little gas in the tank, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's motivational. Like the daydream, like part of this is like you, you're living for the experience of like the minute or five where you're on track uh, where everything is good and amazing. And like, to me, the most valuable thing is that minute or five of awesomeness is like, that's 25 hours a daydream. <laughs> yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. Like thinking back to like, uh, my favorite, my favorite time this year, uh, was battling West Penn and Scott Robertson at mid Ohio. And then, uh, having Ben Dozman chase us down, um, and then my favorite time of the year before, like, uh, was at Blackhawk, um, basically battling, uh, battling, uh, the, the one ninety E who was driving that thing that time. I think it was uh, dust. No, it wasn't dusty. It was max. Um, and then also battling Scott Robertson, the same, same race. Um, and I was like, I was better at everything than except for accelerating, uh, than the one ninety E. Uh, and I just pressured him so hard and he just drove off and turned seven for the big straightaway. And then 
Scott got in his own head and did the same thing, and I got around him too. Uh, Scott was better than me at a bunch of stuff. He had better grip and you know better setup and probably better braking. My brakes were really bad last year, but like you live off of those like daydreams, man. Those are the best. Like the the moments of like super uh, uh, where you you get super zen and like all you're doing is focusing on like the task at hand. It's the best, and you can get that stuff in HPD. You can get the seven time attack. Um, you know, get it wherever you can get it because it's the best. Like, there's nothing better in this life, I think. It's the best. Um, yeah. We're kind of into this one for a little while, but I think one other thing we should talk about is, uh, yeah, the, it seems like the new hot swap is going to be a K-motor in a BRZ. Uh, I saw on Andy's Facebook feed that they're doing stuff and, and yeah, K, doing K-Power's BMW doing trains. stuff and um, yeah, kind of um, different setups. Calzada texted me today, and he said uh, they they uh, they – what took it out and drove it around the, on the street, you know, cause they just tuned it, I think on like Friday. Um, and it made regular K24 power, but they've got that thing like dialed in with traction control. They've got like drive by wire, like everything is totally. What ECU are they out. using? What's that? Uh, what ECU were they using? Um, they are using a Haltech 1500 elite, I think. Okay. And, uh, uh, with a harness, built in conjunction with Haltech, I think and everything works like all the factory, everything basically. That's awesome. Um, and drive by wire and traction control and all the things, um, AC, like the car is like 100%. Like it's a, basically a better version of a factory car. He said, it's so smooth. It's so good to drive. Like they're, they're really pleased with it. So I think it's probably going to get on track pretty soon somewhere, but um, and then, and then Andy and his buddy Dana up there, they are doing, um, they're doing one with a TF plate and a Z, a BMW Z, whatever. Five speed. Know, BMW, yeah, five, yeah, five, ZF five speed. Um, like a little, sounds like a little bit more of like a raw, like track rat version, which might be like perfect for, for streetlight or which might be renamed soon, but, um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Could be uh, could be really fun. Basically, the same car with a different trans and a little bit more raw and less amenities. Yeah, like uh, I think it'll be a choose your own adventure thing. But I think those cars are going to be really cool, uh, in part because there are an awful lot of BRZs with blown motors around. They're blown or like on their third engine or like holy crap! I want twelve more horsepower, but like you can't get that. You know, so um, you got to think like. like Tim's car, the the prototype car for Camiata or for K Power Industries, um, like he was making like one ninety wheel. Uh, so like this is that like two twenty. I think he made two twenty nine. It's gonna rip. Uh, that, that's like a big increase, <laughs> and like the torque is like everywhere. Uh, it's way more torque, and I mean like another thirty or forty horsepower. Like that's a that's gonna be a solid street track car. Like so here's totally here's the thing. Solid. I know that um I know that we've talked with Dewey about this and he will say that or has said that um like having the engine down low in the boxer four configuration was something that he didn't want to give up. But right. uh uh Calzada said that they shed a hundred and forty pounds off the nose of the car in this swap. So like our, yeah, our, and they like, still kept AC. Like that could have been another twenty five pounds. So like, so. yeah, maybe the CG is a little higher, but you're losing a lot of weight. How? I mean, it's possible that that ends up being better. It's going to be a really good car. Yeah, uh, I, I also think a lot of people think um, 
more about center of gravity than they should. Cause I guarantee like I could literally bolt a hundred pounds to the roof of my car, like under my, under my roof skin on top of my roll bar and run the same time as gingerman. Like, yeah, that's probably true. I, it, it, it wouldn't matter. It wouldn't fucking matter what bit. So, but so, yeah, I mean, you'd feel, you maybe feel a little more body roll, but like, I think we're splitting hairs with the engine there. Cause the engine, like most of the, most of the actual weight it's probably in a pretty similar spot. You're probably moving 25 or 30 pounds up. Yeah, uh, probably. Maybe 40, but like you're moving it up three, four inches. Like you're not moving it. You're not putting it on the roof. Right, right. Yeah. It's not. But I could I, see that argument though. Like the flat boxer motor, that's really low. Like the, that CG is pretty low. And that. Uh, that's true. That but is, like yeah. the best track car is the one that has an engine you can drive at the track all the time. Yeah. The fact that like Austin blew up a brand new one doing nothing virtually yeah and tim went through three of them or whatever well and and what's so frustrating and like in tim's situation is he that car has been down for a while because you just don't have endless money to throw at you know stock motors into this car three years you know so so like um and there's a lot of people in his situation who they bought that car because it was gorgeous it had awesome suspension like it's such a good package um when it runs. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think this might be a cool solution. I don't, I don't think you're going to see 10,000 of them made, but like they're going to sell some parts. So, well, I haven't done any shopping for, uh, 86 and in, in BRZ, um, shells, but like they're pretty cheap. I thought, I don't think they're like free. They're not like RX eight free. Yeah. RX eights uh, are basically free. Yeah, dude, you can buy a blown up RX eight for a thousand bucks. Frustratingly, I know that Andy had one in his uh, in his garage a, a few years back, and he was trying to put a K motor in. I, I think, think he made it. I think he actually made that K motor run too. I think he did, but he was just like, "This is not good." Like, you have to like modify the firewall and like put it really far back, and like you're just like, "It's not worth it." Like, it, I think t- it's I think it's a bigger project than like a bolt in like a Camiata. Right. Um. Yeah, I think the you're going to see a lot of that. I think you're going to see a lot of swapped, uh, what do you call them, FT86s or BRZ86s, whatever. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of this thing swapped in various forms, like in the next two, three years. Did you hear uh, Andy's really... nickname for this car? Yeah, Katie. Katie the Katie 6. I, yes. I think that's awesome. Uh, I was really impressed with... Um, with like Justin Kelly's setup this year, like seeing that car be so like he's got that. And like, it doesn't even seem like it's that heavily modified suspension wise or brake wise or anything. It's just bolt on stuff. And he's got that car like so dialed, like his, his, his had the, uh, the F 20 S 2000 setup in it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's a that, that chassis does not suck, man. It's like the best strut chassis ever. Well, I uh, I haven't followed uh, super closely what they're doing recently. Um, they're they're doing putting V6s. they're putting J's in, right? Yeah, doing J, I think J J thirty fives with J thirty heads. Um, so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they do. They just mocked up. Uh, I think they just put out a video mocking up the the setup in Justin's car, which sounds like it might be the toughest because of the crossmember and the steering setup. Mm. So um, they're going to do their two cars, and then they're also doing once they get like things dialed uh, in Tiffany's S two thousand, they're going to do it in Jake's car, and then they're going to do one in Quincy's. Uh, 
RX-8, I think. And then um, I think they're building another S2000 for uh, for their buddy, for Felipe. So That's like a big team. Yeah, they got five cars. They're doing, they bought, I think they got five GLTC passes this year. So. Sick. Um, yeah. Big thank you to everybody who supported Gold Pass this year. That's, um, yeah. That's, yep. uh, our heart is warm. I think there's going to be 133 gold passes when we're all said and done, that's, which is that's crazy. Wild. Um, Thirty. I think. Uh, I think there's almost 30 of them in GLTC too. So that's cool. That's really yeah. really cool. Anyway, all right. Well, um, appreciate uh, everybody listening. Appreciate uh, our patrons, and uh, we'll have more. We got a few. Uh, a few probably a few uh, potential Patreon shows coming out soon. Yeah. And so. uh, if you do subscribe to the Patreon and you want to hear about something, um, we try and put out shows when we can, when we come up with like uh, a fresh idea, but like you guys should ex- like suggest stuff. And if you have questions that you want to ask do, because it'll give us an idea of something to do. Yeah. Right. We're in the winter doldrums right now. We can, we can do uh, we can do what we can do. So we got to get Abe out of this funk. And we got to do a few lunch breakdowns. I think we can do a couple of those this week, probably. Those probably. are fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we appreciate Apex Pro and we appreciate SCP Euro for their uh, their continued support of the show. And when we get out of the COVID times, we can uh, maybe buy some airplane tickets and try to fly around and do cool things. I so. can't wait for that. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, I want to do like a weekend where we like take five five airplane flights and do like twelve shows. That would be sick. <laughs> I uh, wouldn't it be super fun. Six rental cars, fuck yeah. <laughs> I uh, I desperately want to go to the West Side Car Collector Garage in Los Angeles and do a mm-hmm. show with Matt because I just want to see that place. I want to see those things. Do the lifts look absolutely nuts? They look so nuts. So, I mean, yeah, if if you've been living under a rock on the internet, uh, Mad Farah built an amazing car storage facility in Los Angeles, yeah. and it looks it, really it cool. It looks like engineering wise, it is really awesome. I want to record a show in his podcast today. His podcast I know. I want to. I want to get some of those like fancy, um, uh, like sound tiles and all that stuff. I mean, I've got some sound tiles in here. The the right the passenger seat of an O3 Honda Civic and the headliner. It's oh, basically the same. Just... If we cared about sound quality, we would record, um, like we would record the shows in our bedroom closets, um, because yeah. the clothes are excellent at, you know, getting rid of sound. Right now, I'm just on uh, I'm just on a smartphone because we're we're just doing what we can do. Mm-hmm. Abe doesn't want to combine tracks right now. We got this cool board. Sound quality is acceptable. So. Yeah, like it works okay, and so- uh, it means you have to do less things. And because your um, because your internet is at the end of the line, um, mm-hmm. it it means that we can upload a show faster because I don't have to wait on you. Also, my last my last thing uh, after, before we end this is I quit Instagram personally, and I think everyone else should too. Because holy crap, I just found five hours in a week. It's amazing. Oh yeah. It's the best. Yeah, I, I I just deleted my account. I deleted it off my phone. I took the Facebook app app off my phone like six months ago, and I found my Facebook like usage going way down and my mental uh, stability going up. So does that um, mean I have to moderate the uh, Slip Angle Show Instagram? Yeah, I'm not going on there anymore. I'm done with Instagram, man. All right, well, have, have fun, baby. Uh, but yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm literally tr- I'm like desperately trying to find less things to do. Uh, and I don't miss it at all. 
Like every, I, th- I found myself like being on Instagram for like 30, 40 minutes a day. Yeah. Insta- so, like I don't do that with, with Instagram. I do it with Reddit, which is not like, it's not better. Um, I no, got to stop. Same thing. Different disease or uh, different symptoms. Same disease. Yeah, pretty much. But uh, yeah. yeah, we could call this uh, reminiscing about Chicago or um, armchair dentists. Uh, armchair dentists. Good. It's a good title. All right. Thank you all for listening. And, uh, we will hopefully see you again at the track soon. Yeah. One of these days. Someday. Yeah. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pits of Grid Live to say hello. Thank you.